Ben, this is the, the week I've really been looking forward to the most on the Beatitudes. I, I have to say this has been the most challenging and encouraging series that I've really ever studied and prepared for. Um, I, I didn't hear the Beatitudes taught on much uh, as a kid growing up. I mean, I grew up Catholic. Um, when I really got into church kind of later in life, I left church uh, and then came back, ended up at a Pentecostal church, so I'm kind of well-rounded, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I've, I've been, you know, I've done this, and then I've had the shouting and the singing and everything, and so I, I, somewhere in between is where I landed, but I, I never heard the Beatitudes taught on very often. It's, just, it's the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher that's ever lived. It's, it's the kickoff, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus spends several chapters in Matthew um, known as the Sermon on the Mount, but he begins them with the Beatitudes. So they're, they're beautiful attitudes, right? They're this, this contrary way to live that, that God is calling everyone that is a Christian into this way of life. And, and so these aren't things that we were born with. Like these are not, the, this is totally going against the flow of culture. Everything that Jesus says, starting from the first beatitude to the one that we have, we're going to cover today, is very counterculture. These are not really things that come naturally to us, I believe, but it's um, through spiritual discipline. And as we walk with God, we find ourselves reacting differently, responding differently, and our life should look different from the majority of the world. And so the Beatitudes really sets apart, it's the character of a, of a Christian. It's really the, the inside, what's going on on the inside of us. We talked about that last week, that the, the pure in heart will see God. Um, and, and so this week kind of, kind of tacks into that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So Jesus is continuing. This is number seven. So we're kind of at the, the, the we're landing the plane here in, with these Beatitudes Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. How many people want to be called the children of God? Everybody. Yeah, that's a good thing. I want, I want to be a child of God. Well, he says, all right, so the children of God are peacemakers. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic, right? And so the Bible was translated from Greek to English. And so I wanted to go back to kind of like if we could hear it in the, in the words that Jesus spoke it in, in Aramaic. This was the closest version that I could find. And it goes like this. Blessed are those who plant peace each season. So it's, it's something that I'm doing every day. And I'm planting peace in my life, in my relationships, on the job, in my community. Because when I plant peace, when I make it a habit of planting peace, that person shall be named a child of God. And so I want you to see that, you know, so, so the King James Version, most versions call it a peacemaker, like it's something that we can, that we can make ourselves. But I like the way that the Aramaic kind of gives us an, a, a picture, that it's almost like you're, you're, you're planting a seed. And before you plant a seed, you till the ground, that there, there's work that has to be done in order for this, this promise to happen in our lives. And so peace, peacemaker, what, is that, what does that mean practically? Well, I want to look in like, what, 2,000 two years ago. But I want to go back a little further to a verse around 700 years before Jesus was born. And the prophet Isaiah was given like a, a, a glimpse, a download of what this Savior would, would be like. What, you know, everybody was waiting. All the, and there's Jews now still waiting for the Messiah, and so all of the Old Testament was pointing to what we know as 
you know, and celebrate on Christmas Day, the arrival of Jesus. And so when he shows up, what is he going to be like? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this child that's going to be born, it's going to be given to the world. And notice what a few things that Isaiah brings out. The government, the world system, is going to hinge on his shoulders. And he will be called, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and then the best is last, prince of peace. And so this promise is thousands of years old. The Old Testament patriarchs, those that passed down the faith that we hold dear, were waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And they knew that when he came, in their minds, they were expecting this prince of peace. And and that, that could really be translated, he's like the captain of peace. So there's a military term connected to a uh, almost this term that shalom this this piece of means tranquility it means that, that no worries right come on so I, like like I, I got nobody's chasing me and I ain't chasing anybody you know like nobody's mad at me no and I'm not mad at anyone I got peace in my heart got peace in my soul and so this was a promise that for thousands and thousands of years people have been waiting on this peace but I want you to see, and it's, I don't really have to paint this picture for you. If you watch the news this morning, <laughs> or you get alerts on your phone, you probably notice that there is not peace on earth right now. And so the disciples thought for sure that this was going to happen while Jesus came the first time. And so they, were asked, they would ask him questions like, hey, Captain Jesus, you're going to rule the world. I want to be like the vice president. I want to be the CEO. I want to be the CFO. When you, they were thinking in, in their minds he was going to set up his kingdom on earth. And so people would come and they would bow like a, like a king, like you know, we see every day in the news. It was this, this head-down leadership, top-down leadership. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Not only did he not do that, he actually, the way, what he taught he was, was a kingdom that he would, Jesus said, was just not of this world. And so they're talking about and thinking that Jesus is going to establish this hierarchy, and he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't set up a kingdom. He didn't build a building. He didn't have an army, right? There, and, and so, so how, how, did, how can he say and how can the scriptures point to this time of peace on earth when it seems like right now there's none of that at all? And I, I couldn't go back too far, but I did some, uh, like a little bit of a history research here. We've got about 3,500 of record, 3,500 years of recorded history. And I just wanted to give you some stats on how much conflict that this world has seen since that verse was written. There's been like 3,500 like, so 3, years of recorded history. There's been 14,351 wars. That's a lot. <laughs> 3.6 billion people have died from war. There's been 8,000 peace treaties. You know how many of those peace treaties have, are still established today? Zero. Uh, so none of them. And so we, we have what's, you know, Thomas Jefferson, I love the way that he said it. He said, peace is that moment when everyone lays down their weapons and stops fighting to reload. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the world is, is, is anything but at peace. I mean, there's, here's a, a couple more statistics if you're interested in it. The, the, uh, this is pretty, the, the, see, NATO is, is in the news like every day right now in the United Nations. And, and they're, they're, they're kind of, 
their, their thesis statement. What they stand for is, is peace. But it seems like they're having a hard time doing that. <laughs> and it seems like, the, you know, sometimes the more that, that NATO or UN gets involved, the worse it gets. And so it doesn't make sense that Jesus talked about peace and this prophet Isaiah said, hey, there's going to be peace on earth. But it, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. And what I think maybe could be what Jesus meant in the, the announcement when he was born that there would be peace on earth, good will towards men, is that there's a difference between peace on earth and peace in the earth. And so I think there is coming a day that Jesus is going to bring peace on earth, like encompassing everyone. Every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess. There's going to come a day where it says that Jesus is going to come back and all the kings and nations of this world are going to lay their weapons down at his feet. That day is coming. It hasn't happened yet. But until that day, I don't think the primary thing that Jesus is speaking about and that even the prophet Isaiah was talking about was not so much to bring peace on earth, but peace to earth. That in a world that is... That is on edge in a world that has been at war and is going to continue to be at war how do we have and, and access this peace and it tells me that it's not based on what happens in the world it's not based on what happens in another country or and it's not based on peace treaties and NATO and the UN and everybody coming together and singing kumbaya because because you can have like a peace treaty on paper and you can have peace between nations but not have peace in nations and so it looks like we're friends and it looks like we're at peace but but really there's no peace in in the hearts of people and so there's a massive massive difference so God has called us Jesus is saying that the happy person the blessed person is a peacemaker. So I just want to give you four quick things that I think that he means by that. A peacemaker. Number one, in order to make peace and to plant peace, we have to be peaceful people ourselves. And so I think before we can go out and, and, and again, plant peace in the world and in our community and in you know, what we do on Monday through Friday and on the job, is that we've got to be at peace inside of ourselves. So the peacemaker number one, before he starts trying to broker peace across the street or across the table or, or, or across the hall, he has done the work inside. He's at peace on the inside. She is at peace on the inside. Jesus talked about this, I think, in Mark chapter 3. And he, he told a story and he said, you know, that a house that's divided against itself can't stand and so if you've got you know and we've I've, I've seen this applied to marriages I've seen this applied to uh, you know in different aspects and even partnerships right if you go in to sign a start a business with someone you better be in agreement and that's why there's operating agreements and there's all these this work that has to be done before we get married you know you don't want two people that are unequally yoked you want them to be together, that a house divided. If I'm going north and you're going south, that's not going to last long. You know what I mean? And so, and so there's, there's unity there. But before we bring unity in our relationships and, and on the job and what we do Monday through Friday, there has to be unity inside of us. That a peacemaker has a house that is integrated, his inside world. His inside world. And that's very hard to do. <laughs> 
especially in a culture now, and this has never really existed in history, where the way that we get to know somebody is based on what they have put out for you to read about them on their social media, their projected self. And I think a lot of peace in my life is stolen because I'm trying to measure up to the person I am on Facebook. Yeah, right? And then we compare ourselves to somebody's highlight reel because that's what that is. Nobody's posting their, their, their stuff, right? They're not, they're not like posting when they make a mistake. They're not posting about the house they didn't buy or the job they didn't get. Some people do. But most people, it's like, man, it's unicorns and puppies and chocolate and roses. And I floated in on a cloud. Life is grand. Everything's going my way. Everybody wants to be my friend. You know, like everybody likes what I'm doing and life is awesome. And that is not, that hasn't been my experience. And a lot of times I lose sleep at night because I'm trying to be somebody that I may have said I was and I know I'm not. This is me. Or I'm trying to measure up to expectations that someone else has put on me or I put on myself because I feel like, man, I got to be, I got to be perfect. And so I want the world that you see, the projected self, I want it to be perfect. And so I don't want you to get close enough to see who I really, really am. And so there's a tension. There's a tension. And the longer that, the wider that gap is, because nobody's who they are on social media. Nobody's who they project themselves to be. If you're married in here, you know that. When you're dating, you put your best self forward. And you get the best version of that person. And you put your best version forward. And then you get married. And then you find out the truth. Right? Besides my experience, you know, not my wife. It's just gotten better. But that's what I've heard from others, you know. And <laughs> But you don't, you don't come up with, you don't show that list. You don't show the full hand. You know, you want them to want you. And so you do what you, you think they want you to do and say what you think, you know, they want you to say. And then all of a sudden you get married and now there's this stuff that wasn't there at the beginning. And now it's there. Our, our real self, there's a tension. And the wider that gap is between who we want people to see that we are or think that we are and who we really are, the less peace that we're going to have. The more I pretend, the less peace I will have in my life. The more I try to be someone that I'm not, the more I try to be who my parents thought I was supposed to be or who so-and-so thought I was supposed to be. So there's this tension and there's this pressure from the moment we're born and we start getting labels thrown on us. And so I got I to gotta live up to this. Well, most anxiety and most of my sleep is stolen from trying to be somebody that God never called me to be. And so a peacemaker is at peace with themselves, that tension that, you know, we all have a gap there between what we want, you know, our projected self and our real selves. We have a gap. But how big is that gap? I mean, is it like between pews or is it on another planet? Like, is, is the person that the people in my life know, is that the real me? Like, what do I get when I, when I get you? Is that, is that who I put forward? So there's that tension. Then there's this tension of, this, this, I think this, this fight that we all have within ourselves between where we are and where we've been and where we're going. And it's really easy to dwell in the past, I think, because we have a record of the past. I can look back and see my history. I can look back and see your history. I'm very familiar and comfortable with the past because I lived it. I've got a point of reference. But the future, 
It's the unknown. And so there's this tension between who I was in my past and who I know God is calling me to be in the future, and those two don't line up because I've made some mistakes. I've done some things I'm not proud of, but the person that's at peace doesn't live like this. They live like this. They're looking forward. Paul said it this way, I forget those things that are behind me. This is a guy that was murdering Christians. This was a guy that, whose life was completely opposite of the life that he was currently living. He wrote a third of the New Testament. And he said, the way that I stay at peace with myself is I'm not living in who I was 10 years ago. I'm not stuck in the past. And that's hard to do. Because it's, it's, first off, we've got to believe it. When God says, hey, you're a child of God, I, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, plans of good. That's hard to believe when your life has been bad, maybe, all the way up into this, to this point. And that's what your history has been like. But I want you to know that your history does not have to impact or affect your destiny. And when you're at peace with that, when you can say, okay, the, the, the Nathan Pooley of 10 years ago is gone. I'm going to leave him back there. That what I used to be or maybe the mistakes I've made don't have to define where God is calling me to go and who God is calling me to be. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And a person, a peacemaker, is more focused on where they're going and not where they've been. They're more focused on destiny. They're more focused on what God is doing. They're more focused on the vision that's out in front of them and not so much about where they've been. So there's that tension. And, and then there's this, this fight, I think, in every person of, of, of good and evil. Of good and evil. Paul said it like this. He, he said, I've got this fight going on inside of me. Romans chapter 7. For I don't know the good I want to do, I can't do. And this evil that I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Anybody? I mean, feel that way sometimes. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living inside of me that does it. And so there is this, there is this fight. Paul, I'm glad that we, he wrote so honest and transparent. I'm glad that we get to kind of read the, what was going on in the mind of the Apostle Paul while he's writing the New Testament. That even Paul had this, this fight inside of him of dark and light, of good and evil. And so the person that is at peace recognizes that inside of their life. They know what they're capable of without God. They know that in their essence there is, this, there is this thing, there's this darkness, there's this sin inside of them. And they're fighting the good fight between this good and this evil. And so that brings this unity inside of ourselves. There's peace in our, within our soul. And so I think so much frustration happens when we don't, we don't have that. And we're trying to live up to maybe someone's idea of who we should be. Or we're letting this, this, this fight that's going on inside of us, that's the fight that we all want to engage in. We want to fight this good fight of faith. We want to try to keep ourselves. Last week we talked about the pure at heart. You know, that these are struggles that we all have. And I think... The first step in, in, in really defeating them is recognizing it. Like church should not be a place where we come to pretend, right? Like church should, should not be a place where you feel like that you've got to put on a mask and not be who you are and, 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 and who God's called you to be, that you can, you know, put that mask down and be authentic with somebody. 
This, that's why, I, I mean, I talk about groups. I feel like I, I, I mean, I talk about groups a lot, but I'm a big believer in groups because I, I think that people find peace when they're able to really speak truth and receive truth from others. It's a, it, you know, when you're able to put the mask down, and I know that you may not be able to do that here, but there's somewhere in your life where you're not trying to live up to someone's standards where you can really just say, man, this is, this is what I'm feeling like. This is what I'm going through. I'm at, I, I'm at peace within myself when I'm able to do that, speak truth. And what I love about God is, is I believe that not only does Jesus want us to be who, we, who he's created us to be, but he tells us what that is, right? He doesn't leave it up for, you know, for our own will. I'm just going to pick who I'm going to be today. He says, no, I, I want you to be your true self, and I'm going to bless that, and I want to tell you what that is. And that's the second thing. This, a peacemaker is at peace within themselves because they know their purpose. A peacemaker knows their purpose. They're at peace with their purpose. They, they know why they're here, and they know what they're here to do. And I think what we're seeing in our, in our world right now is a complete collapse in identity. We have an identity crisis happening in our world. And, and, and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. You know, because you know, I have a six-year-old, and there's some days where he's a, he's a velociraptor. He really thinks he's a velociraptor. But I don't go and, and surgically put a tail on him because he thinks he's a velociraptor, right? He thinks he's a bird some days. And I got to let him know, hey, you can't jump off the balcony here. I mean, I get it. You, you take on this identity for a little bit, but that's not who you are. Why? Because you can't fly. You know what I'm saying? Like, like your, your, your design reveals your destiny. Birds have wings. They're born with them so they can fly. That's their purpose. Well, we have a culture now that's confused, and nobody's telling them the truth. And I'm not what I feel like today. I'm not what I felt like I was when I was nine. I'm who God says that I am. And he's confirmed that in the way that he's designed me. That's my purpose. My identity is who I am. My purpose is what I'm put here to do. They go hand in hand. And when I don't know my identity, when I'm confused in who I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be able to reach my purpose. I'm going to walk in circles. And so what is my purpose? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I think before I'm a pastor, before I'm a husband, before I'm a brother, before I'm a son, there's one job that I believe God has called every Christian to. And this is, I'll, you know, this is my opinion but I think there was, a, there was an open job in heaven. It says that Ezekiel 28 and in the book of Job talks about it, how that, that, that Lucifer, we know him as the devil, he had a job before he came here and decided to just wreak havoc on the earth. It says that he was born, he had these pipes, in, like organ pipes inside of him. That's the way God made him, Ezekiel 28. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but we all know the story. He decided that, hey, I'm the worship leader, and I'm, I'm sending all this worship to God, but I want some worship for myself. I'm tired of leading this worship band here for God. I think I'm going to take some of this for me. I like the way it feels. 
And the book of Job says he fell from heaven like lightning. Ezekiel 28 describes it too, that, that he was in the garden of God and, and, and then God threw him out of heaven. And so now there is a vacancy. There's a job opening. The, the person that used to lead worship is now gone. What am I going to do? Well, I thank God decided in his pre you know in his pre-knowledge that he formed the earth and then he and then he formed man and then he breathed into man the breath of life and there's one thing that every person does regardless of our job or title is before we're whatever we are during the week God has called us to be worshipers and your peace will be directly connected to your worship because I, and I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but I think it's impossible to worry and worship at the same time. Impossible. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what, how bad it is. When you decide, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to put on worship music. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to forget about what's happening around me. And I'm just going to worship the King of Kings for a moment. What, what begins to happen in our life is the peace of God begins to fill our soul. And so the more we worship, the more we begin to see the purpose, the real true purpose in our life emerge. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or you drive a truck. Paul said, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so we all have the same job. We all have the same job. That your purpose in some way, shape, or form is going to bring glory and honor and worship to God. And the farther we get out of that, the more anxiety we're going to have. The, the, the more, and, and think about how, just, just be real. You know, it's so awkward to worship sometimes, right? Think about all that's going on in the worship service. And they said to lift my hands. I don't know if I want to lift my hands. You know what I mean? I feel that. I don't think I, don't think I should lift my hands. Well, maybe just start with like my fish was this big. You know what I'm saying? Maybe just start, maybe just start there. And then, and then it's football season. You can go, the field goal is good. You know, like you can, you can graduate to the, to the field goal point, but worship involves, you got to tell your body to do it. And you can let worry dictate what your body does and you can decide not to come and you can decide to stay in your house and you can decide to just, I'm not going to church today. I'm not going to worship. I'm going to listen to the enemy that's telling me you can't lift your hands. You know what you did this week. Or, I'm not going to let what's wrong with me keep me from worshiping what's right with God. Come on, somebody. I am, I am preaching. <laughs> that wasn't even my notes. That was free. That's why we start service with worship. That's why there's a whole book dedicated to worship. And I don't say worship the way I want you to worship. I just ask worship the way God wants you to worship. I didn't write the book. He says, come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, to lift up holy hands, to, to clap hands in the sanctuary. Like, like there is a reason why we worship because it centers us. It brings the peace of God into our life. When, when all hell is breaking loose out there, the worshiper knows a peace that the worrier never will. And you can pick. And I can worry. I've got a PhD in worry. I, I can worry like, like I can worry with the best of them. Like I, I'm good at it. Like it's, I think it was something I was born with, a gift that my mom gave me. <laughs> but you can pick. 
And a peacemaker picks worship. A peacemaker decides no matter what's going on around me, I'm going to worship God. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, worship. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So what happens when I decide to worship? Verse 6, I'm not anxious about anything. In every situation with prayer and worship, with thanksgiving, I'm letting God know what I need. And this is what happens, verse 7. When I choose to worship, when my world is falling apart, and I feel like peace is a thousand miles away, when I decide to worship, the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. That is a promise that is, that is a prescription. Charles Allen, he pastored a large church in Atlanta, a Methodist church for many years, wrote some incredible books. One of them is called God Psychiatry. We went through it as a church. But he would prescribe verses to people when they would come into his office and they were anxious. And I'm not saying you don't need to go sit with a doctor. I'm not saying you don't need to go sit with a professional. But oftentimes he wrote after they had they had went to the medical professionals. They had tried multiple medications. They would come to him, and he would prescribe them scripture. This was one of them. Psalm 23 was one of them. That, that when you feel anxious, when you feel anxiety, when you feel like, man, the room's getting smaller, panic. That this peace that comes to the worshiper, that guards our heart, that guards our mind. It's a peace that the world can never give. And it's a peace that the world cannot take away. And so I'm at peace. I'm at peace within myself. I'm at peace with my purpose. Number three, I'm at peace with others. And sometimes we try to jump straight to that. But before we jump straight to that, man, we got to be at peace in ourselves. We got to be at peace with our purpose. And then God does call us to this next step. He says, I, if it's possible, if it's possible, live at peace with all men. What does that mean practically? Corinthians talks about this ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation. Y'all okay in here this morning? That as we go through life, unless you just hopped off a sailboat and lived on an island your whole life, somebody has wronged you. Somebody's made you mad. Somebody has done something to you that's caused you to get upset. And so what are we to do practically as believers? Are we to just be like, you know, floor mats and let just people stomp all over us and wipe their feet on us? I don't think so. But we're called to be peacemakers, peace right? There's peacekeepers. Now, a peacekeeper will avoid conflict like it's, like it's the Black Plague. You know, so they don't want to fight. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want to, you know, if it's going to be tense, if there's going to be tension, if there's going to be conflict, I'd rather keep the peace. But this is, I think, a little different. That as we come into this walk with God, he says, I want you to make peace. I want you to make peace within your soul. But then I want you to make peace with those who have wronged you. And what I love about that word reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation, it literally just means to bring the balance to zero. That's what it means. That, you know, I know you owe me. I, I, I feel like, man, what you did deserves a, a, an apology. What you should have done, you didn't do it. And, and so we, sometimes we can walk through life with these, these grievances. 
And we believe that, well, if I just get far enough away from this person, that I'll, I'll be better. <laughs> I'll just go to a different town. And then you find out that what Jerry did to you, and you go to a different town, then Jimmy does it to you. And now you're dealing with what Jerry did 10 years ago because Jimmy's doing the same thing. And so because you never resolved it, you never had made peace within yourself. And again, they're probably never going to come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry. A peacemaker brings the balance to zero. I think that means, you know what? It doesn't mean I'm going to be back together with that person. It doesn't mean that I'm going to partner with them again or do any kind of deal with them again. But I've, I, I, in my heart and in my soul, they don't owe me anything. I'm at peace. The balance is zero. I'm not waiting on an apology. I'm not waiting on a card and a Waffle House gift card. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not waiting on anything from them. I have made peace with what happened. Now, I'm not saying that we can do this in a day or in a week. But a peacemaker is, this, is, this, this ministry of reconciliation is a part of their life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. He's committed us to this message of reconciliation. And so as a Christian, this is something you want for the world. This is something you want for your family. It's probably why that you're, it bothers you to know that maybe your brother and your dad haven't talked in 10 years. They don't even know why they're mad anymore. Or it bothers you that your, your, your sisters aren't speaking. They got in a fight three Christmases ago, and now we got to have a cop on standby if we invite them both to Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to have them, like, ready to roll. I'm just, I'm giving you some, some insight to my family, okay? I've literally had the police called to a Thanksgiving meal, all right? This is when I was, like, this is a long time ago. But I know what it's like to have conflict. Well, somebody that's not a Christian could care less. Whatever right? But it bothers you. You want to see your family together. You want to see mom and dad get along. You want your sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles. You want to see them together. Why? Because this peacemaker spirit is inside of you. And it's important to God. It's important to God. And I think, you know, I just, as we were going into the holiday season and all of this can be a reality sometimes, and I don't know if I can even show up there because so-and-so is going to be there. I, you know, you've got this tension. God, I, just, I want to be a peacemaker. Maybe you're the agent. Maybe you're the person that God is going to use to bring family back together that haven't spoken in years. And So we're at peace with others and then here's the last one we're going to pray the peace peacemakers that they're at peace within themselves they're at peace with their purpose they know why they're here and what they're here to do they've made things right horizontally <laughs> and then vertically a peacemaker is at peace with god and before we close, I, I, I just want you to, if you could just kind of zone in right here, because I think this is, it's really, really important. Now, again, just, this is, 
I want you to just think for a moment. Here's Jesus a few days before the cross. And he's got his disciples together in the upper room. He knows that there's a traitor in his midst. He knows that somebody that's in his circle of influence, right, in the 12, is going to betray him. He knows that probably the worst day of his life was just a few moments away. And he's sharing these last few things with his disciples and with me and you. And this is what he says. John 14, verse 27. Peace, it's a parting gift. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give it like the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, that is not the message I would think coming, I would hear from a person who knows a traitor is about to run out of the room and sell him for just a few pieces of silver, enough to buy a little field. Betray him. That the crowds would be gone in a few days and it would just be him hanging on the cross and his mom and a few devout followers there to see what happens. In my mind, I would think that Jesus would have no peace at all in those moments. But he says, no, not only do I have peace, I'm going to give it to you. I want you to catch this. And I think as we go through life, everybody in here is going to face a moment like that. It may just be a few times. You're going to face a moment in your life where it feels like the whole world is falling apart. <laughs> and and, and every, you know, there, there's no peace on earth. There's no peace around me. There's no peace in my family right now. There's, there's no, I can't find peace anywhere. That was the moment Jesus was experiencing. My friends won't even pray for a few minutes with me. I mean, it felt like his world was failing and falling apart. But he talks about this peace. I read about this term, it's called the cushion of the sea. And surfers will get this, divers will get this. Navy, if you're in the Navy, if, you're in, if you've done any diving or anything, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, you know what this is. But the cushion of the sea, you may, maybe as a kid you remember swimming in the rain, right? Or swimming in the, in the gulf and during a storm, not lightning, but just it's storming all around, it's windy. Outside in the world, it's just things are going crazy. But the cushion of the sea is this place on the bottom of the ocean that supposedly is completely undisturbed by what's going on outside. And I think when Jesus is offering this peace to his disciples and to me and you this morning, is he's not saying that, well, if you come to me, all your problems are going to go away. The storm's going to dry up. The hurricane's going to stop spinning. And we're going to sip Mai Tais and just chill for the rest of existence. That's, that's, that's what's going to happen when you come to... And, and that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? The storm's going to get worse. <laughs> and this one's going to pass by. And guess what? There's going to be another one that's going to come. But surfers, divers know that, that the bigger the wave, the deeper you go, the less it impacts you. 
You'll see surfers doing this like at Pipeline, big, big, big waves in Hawaii. You'll see them literally stand up on their surfboard and jump off like a toothpick and dive down. Because they know if they can get deep enough, they won't even feel the impact of the wave on the surface. And I believe that's the promise that God is giving every one of us in our lives when we go through storms and when we go through things that we really don't want to face and when there's no peace that we can see on the outside, God calls us deeper on the inside. That there's this peace, that, that there's this place that we can go in God where he hides us. And the storm will continue to rage and, and the wind is still blowing and nothing may change to the naked eye on the outside. But inside there is a peace that keeps us still and calm and whole. And we go through things differently than the world goes through them. Because God calls us the darker the storm, the, 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 the stronger the storm, the deeper he calls us. And so this parting gift from Jesus that he's given us. He said, let not your heart be troubled because he knew the real fight would be inside when we go through stuff. He wants to take us deeper when we go through situations in life. There's a peace, I believe, that we're not born with. It's like a grace that covers. I can't tell you the families I've sat with that have lost, I mean, everything. Everything. And, and somehow they got a smile through it. They're singing through it. It's like, I, I don't know how you're doing it. And they'll just tell me, there's this peace. I don't know. I didn't have it before this happened. But I just know that it's going to be okay. I'm going to get through it. God's got it. And I want you just to bow your head for a moment. Because I want you to have that peace. I think God wants you to have that peace. That you don't have to lose your peace when you're going through a trial. You don't have to lose your peace when you're going through a sickness or you're going through a time of loss. It's an invitation. It's an open door where God is calling you deeper with him. This cushion of the sea that protects you. He's saying, I want you to go deeper with me. To a place where I can protect you. To a place that's calm. It's not impacted by what's going on around you. It's peaceful. And so, Lord, I pray for that right now to just settle in this place. I pray for every troubled heart that's facing a storm that they don't know if they're going to get through it. They're facing a storm and they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. It's dark and it's windy and it's stormy. I pray for your peace just to take them right now to a place of tranquility, a place where they can hear you, God, and see you and walk with you. And so, Lord, as we go into this holiday season and Thanksgiving and Christmas is right in front of us, Lord, I pray that we would all have this ministry of reconciliation. 
Right now, I can think of people that should be in here this morning. Right now, I can think of people in my life that maybe I, they could use a phone call, a text. Hey, I'm not mad at you. I mean, we ain't talked in a while, but you know what? It's water under the bridge. I want to be at peace. I want to be at peace. So if you're here this morning and you want that peace in your life, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for somebody specifically. Thank you. Just slip up and down. I see those hands. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I pray every hand that went up and didn't. Lord, that, that's, that's, you said there's something that happens in our heart when we respond. So Lord, I pray that you would honor that response today of all the hands that went up and the ones that didn't. God, that your peace would fill the hearts and souls of your people. We don't have to freak out like the world does. We don't have to lose our peace. We may lose a lot of stuff, but we don't have to lose our peace. God, send your peace today. Send your peace today. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.